Hey, this is Sam from Brain Tools, and this is the shortcut version of our Brain Tools podcast, where you get just the Brain Tools, all four of them, uh, nothing else. It's short, practical, and sweet, and I hope you like it. And welcome to the Brain Tools section, where we're going to give you four practical brain tools for leadership and using neuroscience to lead better. But we also love to give you a bit of a context and a frame for thinking about these before we do them. We do. And we've got to call them primers today because we just want to do a right-click synonym word job, word document job today. <laughs> the word um, <laughs> job. Absolutely. So there's, there's two main primers here. And look, when we go through these, these almost could be brain tools, but we wanted to make sure we mentioned them because we've spoken about Pareto's principle for 80-20, that 20% of the inputs are responsible for 80% of the output. And the first one's this. You want to model the desired behaviors. Humans are amazing at mimicry. It's how literally from zero to 10, 11, 18, we learn stuff. And so as a leader, if you want certain behaviors to take place with your environment, then you have to embody them yourself because you will be a reflection of what your leaderships do. If you're late to work, as an example, every day, 20 minutes, then you can't expect people who are following you to do the exact same of like be early and be on time. So that's the first one. Sam, thoughts? Yeah, I think it makes perfect sense. Um. You don't have to look any farther to than kids to see how much they copy each other and adults and they learn. Adults are no different. Absolutely. And the second one is using the principle of inversion, which our mate Charlie Munger loves to talk about, invert, always invert. But you want to know what leader you don't want to be just as much as knowing the type of leader you do want to be. And through your experience, if you have actually followed someone before and you've seen their behaviors, you want to make sure you've been taking notes before you become a leader on things that they did that you're like, hold on, why did you do that? That wasn't what an effective or a good leader would actually do. And I think knowing those two things in advance are going to solve a lot of the problems you'll encounter, hopefully, as a leader. Um, that's my second one, Sam. Also your thoughts. Yeah, I think it makes perfect sense. Because if you don't know what you're trying to avoid, you're going to end up doing it. The real question is, what brain tools do we have for the lovely listeners today? Zero. None. <laughs> Turn it <laughs> no. off. No. We've got four. And I'm going to start with the first one, Sam, which is brain tool number one, craft a compelling vision. Now, we spoke about earlier in uh, the episode all about vision being a really important part of the Google study or Project Oxygen. And there was a study that actually supports this by KPMG. They did a full-on audit, shock, professional service firm, in 2015 of all their leaders. And they found the following. Leaders that discussed purpose were about 94%, which is good. Wait. Um, and then basically, leaders that didn't discuss purpose were 66%. Now, the question you're asking, Kieran, what is that number? And the key thing of that number representing is whether it was a great place to work. There was a 28% mm. difference in these two numbers based on whether a leader actually discussed purpose or not. And the people that didn't discuss purpose versus did discuss purpose were three times more likely to be looking for another job. And so it really raises a key and salient problem, which is if people don't know where they're going, how they're doing, and why they're doing it, they're more likely to be disengaged. And so, Sam, the solution becomes really, really clear, which is you want to create a compelling vision that aligns with the team's vision and the individual's self-interest. It makes a lot of sense when we think about the fact that people, we're wired for certainty and knowing what comes next as part of our prediction machines and our brains. We want to know what their path is. And if leaders don't articulate that, then it leaves all their ambiguity on the table for the brain to run haywire, so to speak. My 
what I'm thinking about is have you used this? Like I know you're in a leadership position in, in your current role. Is there an example you could give uh, of you using them in the real world? Yeah. So there's a few steps going through and I'll be honest with you. I learned this more through uh, my mentors as opposed to me figuring it out on myself. Cause like I said, I don't think if I can be really vulnerable with you, I don't think I was a very good leader. And maybe like in the first two or three years, I think I was a good worker. Um, still adopting that mindset of I need to get my work done without realizing you need to bring a lot of people along with you. And so these were the steps yeah. that we sort of went through, which were very, very helpful um, in the end. And the first one was really in putting this vision practice, you want to define what your big, hairy, audacious goal is, your bahag, which is Jim Collins talks about a lot, which is that big, really bright star that shines through that gets people really bought in. And so you want to define that. And for us, it was working with a million students. It was that like big thing that was like, hey, that's a really big number, one. But two, yeah. it means a lot to us because we care about kids and we care what we're doing. Um, the second thing that ended up happening was um, my mentor told me to write a newspaper article <laughs> 10 years forward. We were talking about eulogies previously, but it's a newspaper article, Sam. You've got some question marks on your face and I don't know why. <laughs> I've never thought of that before. I like it. Yeah, and the newspaper article in reality was a force forward, fast forward into the future, which is things that have happened since. And it was things like, what does your office look like? Um, what's in it? Is there you know, a pool table in there? Is there a table tennis table, whatever it might be? How many people are on your team? And what have you done in the past you know, 10 years that makes you say, wow? And that like fast track is something that you're proud of and what you want to be on the trajectory, but it's really compelling vision that you put down. And the only last things that I just want to touch on in implementing this it's obviously super important to share your vision with team members, but most importantly, ask them for feedback. The worst thing you can do is say, hey, here's my vision and boom, this is what you're going to implement. You need to obviously make sure that there's some dialogue and they can add things because they want to be a part of that vision. What would they like to see in this newspaper article? What they would like to see in the future as well. And the last and final thing is when you, when you actually hit milestones on the way to that 10-year journey or five-year journey, you celebrate like crazy. You celebrate for the progress because humans are motivated massively by progress and leaders obviously are motivated by that as well. And that's brain tool number one, craft a compelling vision. Not only craft a compelling vision, but communicate it out too. That newspaper article I did, that's brilliant. Like, What a great frame for figuring out what that vision looks like. Thanks, Sam. I appreciate it. You're welcome. To give your mentor a pat on the back, perhaps. <laughs> Speaking of next steps, we're going to talk about brand tool number two, and this one goes out for leaders and managers alike, and it is goalposts, not playbooks. My question for anyone listening and anyone ever is, what happens when someone tells you what to do? Just travel back in time. Remember when your parents told you you had to take the bins out or you had to fold a sheet on your bed or had to do your homework? You instinctively push back. And this is called reactance. It's a psychological phenomenon that we experience in relation to the extraction of our control. So rather than delegating tasks, which is what managers and leaders often do, share the goal, the outcome, the vision, and ask people to find their own action plan to get there. Mm. So what you're basically saying is we want to avoid that whole teacher mindset of I'm telling you what to do, so do it. You want to get some agency involved. Can you just can you talk a little bit more about this concept of reaction? Because I'm running saying that's like the backfire effect, right? Yeah, very, very similar to the, the backfire effect, whereas the backfire tech effect talks more about marketing in particular uh, and, and media, this is to do with behavior. And the original studies were actually on children. So a lot of reverse psychology comes from reactants. And what they effectively found was when they told uh, 
um, kids not to play with the toy in this big study with hundreds of kids. What did they go and do? Lo and behold, they played with the toy because they were pushing back on that reduction in their control. And there's, since that initial work that was done in 1966, there's been a lot of expansion on this, this idea. But effectively, we are wired for choice. So if you look at some of the research papers out there, they, they will show you that we experience choice as a reward in the brain. It's actually rewarding for us. But then when you take away choice, we can experience that uh, in the same regions of the brain that process pain. So reactance is just this neural mechanism of the brain saying, hey, we're losing control in this situation, so we should push back to, to regain control. So people people will like to exhibit their free will and they like to see that it's actually happening. Take this idea then of the goalposts, right, not just the playbooks. How would you in a work situation go about implementing this? Because I, I think it aligns perfectly with the idea of creating a vision. Um, yeah, how would you go about doing it? So the first step obviously is to – to dictate where you're trying to go, which is that vision component. So A, you share the desired outcome you're delegating, what that task would look like. We're trying to get 20 new leads a month each for the sales team, or we're trying to create X, Y, and Z documents uh, for the, the marketing team, whatever your team is. And then the second part is, this is the most important part, rather than turning around and saying, okay, to get here, you need to do 100 calls a day, or you need to be working on this, 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 and this. Instead, share a couple options for ways to do this. Here's one way you could do this. Here's another way you could do that. Here, this, here's this third way you could do this. And then ask your delegated team members to choose what path they want to whack, what they want to take, and what they're going to track. And we know because of things like the I care effect and the endowment effect, when people choose their own course of action, they're more likely to stick with it because they're going to value it more as it's come from their own brain. But there's also a reduction in this overall reactance because you're no longer telling people exactly what they have to do, but instead showing them where they need to get to in terms of the team and the goals, and then allowing them to find that path for themselves. And to kind of wrap it up, it's this idea of leading with agencies and agency and choices to get team to team goals by using goalposts rather than specific playbooks, then letting your team members define their best path. Yeah, absolutely. And I think on that point, as you said, if you are setting a clear goal and you're creating sort of the boundaries by which a person can execute, it means, as you said, they're more likely to lean in and actually own the problem and the solution set, which I think is really important. I think for, yeah. um, and I'm just thinking about people who are probably new at work and when leaders are leading, people have just started. I think I totally agree with you here. I think we want to just be mindful that um, people don't just tell them still what they should do. I think you can also take a frame of, hey, this is what I don't want you to do. So you set really clear expectations because it's the worst when yeah. someone produces something and a leader's like, nah, don't like that. And you're like, but what? Yeah, <laughs> what you said? Said go, go gun home. Yeah, that's a, a really important frame. It's putting on some training wheels, but then not pedaling the bike for them. Oh, analogy king Samuel Holston. Well done. <laughs> I've been listening to too much Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> we love him. I love that. Well, that beelines yeah. perfectly into brain tool number three for me, which is if you've created that compelling vision, you are you know playing goalposts, not playbooks, which I like a lot, then brain tool number three is becoming a teaching coach. And Sam, you highlighted a, a problem which is happens a lot of the time, which is leaders can be super, super quick to tell people stuff without understanding what the person's asking, what they want, and what they need. And so it comes down to this fundamental difference between teaching 
and coaching. And so when team, team members don't know something or they need expertise, then you need to give them information that requires a teaching moment, right? But when team members need help crafting their solution or they're struggling emotionally, they just need someone to talk to, they might need advice. That's when you adopt the coaching mindset. And so the, the thing that we want to be really mindful as leaders we want to try to get to is to become a teacher and a coach, depending on the person and depending on the situation. Yeah, so you you need to have a multi perspective on how you handle, how do you manage other people, your employees in those situations, because you can't just be rigid in dictating one mode of thinking. Is there any work or any research that backs up this this premise? Because I've I've heard of teaching and coaching a million times. I don't think I've I've found any science myself on it. Yeah, in 2013, in the Social Neuroscience Journal, there was a sort of article slash experiment done called Visioning in the Brain, an fMRI study on inspirational coaching and mentoring. Hey, talk about a movie line. And what they basically did as a baseline, they actually did this with graduate students. So the context, to be fair, is not in work, it's at university. And what they did is they measured emotional tendencies first through a questionnaire, and they did two separate interviews in the space of five days. One interview was what we would call a positive interview. And they would ask questions that was very much a frame of optimism, such as questions like, if everything worked out ideally in your life, what would you be doing in 10 years? So very more of like a motivational disposition. The negative interview was more performance-based. It was more stuck in the now, which was, are you doing all your homework? How are you doing with your courses? It was very specific to that area. And the conclusion they found across all these graduate students was that the positive interview, again, had greater brain activation in visual processing, in global processing, in empathy and emotional safety and motivation. And it showed you that it's not that one's better better than the other, but you want to be mindful of how you use it and when you use it based on the people that you're speaking to, particularly in the analogy of work. Yeah, we got to be really, really mindful as well because as we talked about before with the, with, and this is something we touch on, that sense of safety and control and using threatening language can and have a really, really detrimental impact on employees, on your team members. You're speaking about using this at work and I really like this idea of teach and coach and teaching and coaching. Are there any specific ways to implement this brain tool? Yeah. So I think the the first part, and this comes down to what we were talking about on episode um, 27, where we really looked at teamwork. Um, you want to hold regular one-on-ones, right? You got to know your person. Yeah. So you want to put them in the calendar. You want to treat this as sacred time and you do them outside of the work environment. It's very much that signal that I care about you as an p- individual and I care enough to put this in my calendar, dedicate time to it, and that's our sacred space together. Now, the nature of that conversation can take many different routes. It can be based on work. It can be based on personal, whatever you want to do. But the frame, Sam, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this, is open-ended questions should be the driver. It's the what, it's the how, it's the why. You want to avoid closed Mm -hmm. questions because you want to open up the floor so then you can spend 80% of your time listening as a leader, really trying to understand what's going on, and then 20% of the time talking depending on the situation. Does that sort of resonate? Yeah, it it does because I'm thinking about some of my best leaders and they definitely led with all those how, what, why questions. Yeah, spot on. And then when you get to the end of any conversation that you have one-on-one, this is classic sort of teacher and coaching, right? Which is you want to, in a non-condescending way, and I mean this, get them to repeat back to you what they understand. There's always a fundamental difference between teaching and learning where teaching is the intention to transmit 
knowledge and then learning is I've actually taken on that knowledge so often Sam you've probably done this through tutoring experience there's a massive disconnect between what we think someone's taken on board and what they've actually taken on board so you want to make sure it's like hey can you repeat that back to me hey what have you understood from our conversation Um, is there anything that you didn't understand and then you leave with clear actions and deadlines and based on that first point we spoke about you need to make sure as leader, you execute those actions. Because if you don't execute the actions as a result of the conversation, then why on earth would they execute any of those actions? And that's brain tool number three, become a teaching coach. It comes back to that mimicry. If you're not going to execute on those actions, how can someone copy you and do the same? That that point's really, really salient about getting them to repeat back the actions and deadlines. And I'm just thinking about a couple of times I had kids I was tutoring five, six years ago and the days I didn't ask them to tell me what work they were going to do, I'd come back a week later. Lo and behold, they hadn't done any work. But then when I asked them, okay, what are you going to do this week? Can you write that down? They did it every time. I love that frame as well from you, because it links with your brain tool, which is you ask them for what they thought the actions were as well. It's like, hey, we're about at the end of this. What are the yeah. actions that we should put down? And as you said, it's that endowment yeah. um, generation IKEA effect that works a charm. It works a charm. We just like things that come from our own brain. We trust them more. There's some really great work on that by Dr. Moran Surf. But coming into brain tool number four, advice, permission, feedback. Mm. Advice, permission, feedback. Talk to me. Okay. So the, the frame is most times when you give feedback, it's received as an attack or a criticism. It's almost like a social punch. And a lot of people will know this because they've had situations where someone said, can I give you some feedback followed by some words that really, really hurt. And often these words trigger the brain's threat response, which actually makes your team members more stressed. So instead of framing your feedback as feedback, frame it as advice and ask for permission. Can I share some advice? And there are a couple of reasons why. So everyone has experienced that moment when someone gave you some horrific feedback. Maybe you cried. (laughs) Maybe you felt like the imposter syndrome just welled up. Maybe you thought you never wanted to do work again. And so according to research coming out of uh, Harvard Business School, feedback has little impact on our performance. And actually over one third of the time, it negatively impacts performance. Feedback negatively impacts performance. In particular, for women, it can be really, really harmful. So there was a study conducted by professors Shelley Correll and Caroline Simard at Stanford University, analyzed over 200 performance reviews across high-tech companies and professional services, and they found that compared to men, women who received feedback were le- women who received feedback felt it was less likely to be tied to business outcomes, was more vague mm. and challenging to implement. So we know that it can be quite harmful. Feedback can be quite harmful overall for employees. Absolutely. And especially feedback, especially when feedback's a surprise. So if you yes. are like communicating that feedback on a regular basis and it just comes in one big annual performance right. review slash appraisal, then it's really hard for someone to change their behavior. Like, you know, we believe massively in iteration and trial and error. And like, I think obviously that needs to be a really important part of it. That's just my th- my frame or thought initially that comes to mind. It's a, it's a really, really good perspective. And I'm thinking of it from the the context of receiving unsolicited feedback that you didn't want as well. So not only just that once a year performance review, but when someone turns around and comments on your work and gives you some feedback when you didn't ask for it, half the time you're thinking in your head, go away. Why did you say that? And the other half of the time you think, oh my God, that was so mean. I can't believe someone just said that to me out of the blue. Like rarely is the, the frame in your brain 
oh yeah, feedback. Can't wait for someone to rip apart my work. And this is aligned totally, as you said, with being more of a, a coach in this particular situation. Because that question of can I share some advice is, as you said, you're not making any assumptions about it. You're actually clarifying first before you speak. So my question on this is in an everyday work situation, or if you're a leader, how would you go about using this? This one's really, really simple. Don't give feedback. Never frame it as feedback because we know feedback can trigger this threat response and some of the different pieces of research. According to the Harvard Business School research, instead, ask for permission and frame it as advice. In fact, research actually shows that advice giving leads people to think about their future actions uh, and what they can do as opposed to focus retroactively on, on the past. So the implementation is really simple. Use this phrase. Can I share some advice? Can I give you some advice about X, Y, and Z? Can I suggest a couple of things? Just that permission frame and advice frame will help you mitigate that feedback mechanism, which can trigger the threat response and the, the fight, flight, fear, arousal, alertness response to the brain. And so to wrap it up, to use this brain tool, make your feedback feel brain safe by asking for permission to share it and framing it as advice. And that's brain tool number four, advice, yeah, the- permission, feedback. The thing that is aligning really well, I think, with that can I share some advice that's just coming to mind, just popped into my head, is like you ask can I share some advice and then focusing on your observations of the behavior becomes like a way to extend it. It's like can I share some advice? I've noticed example A, B, and C. Have you noticed this as well? And you get another sort of commitment from the person. And then as you said, that allows you then to you know, give advice, give suggestions when the person themselves might recognize what's going on. And as you said, that more yeah. safe environment, so to speak, psychologically safe, still being meaning you're being direct, meaning you're being specific, um, but you're focusing on, as you said, on the behaviors and not necessarily just the outcome. You're tying those two things together. Yeah. And you're looking forwards as well. Advice is looking for improvement in the future rather than looking at critiquing past performance. So- I, th- I think it's a really useful frame of reference, even if you're trying to solicit feedback rather than asking, hey, can you give me some feedback on my presentation? Hey, can you give us some feedback on brain tools? Why not just ask, hey, can you give me some advice on how to improve X, Y, and Z? Because you're going to get this future framed response, which will really help you improve. Speaking of improving, we've covered four very, very powerful, I would say, brain tools for, <laughs> for leaders looking for a new adjective there. Should we go back up to the top and recap? Let's do it. Brain tool number one, craft a compelling vision. It's really important as a leader to be mindful of making it very clear to people where they're going, how they're doing, why they're doing things. And so being very clear on what that big, hairy, audacious goal is, and you know, maybe even writing that newspaper article of a 10-year vision of where things going to be, get your feedback from your team members so they can contribute and feel a part of it so it's aligned with your team interest and your self-interest as well and celebrate those wins like crazy. That is brain tool number one, craft a compelling vision. And once you've got this compelling vision, use brain tool number two, use goalposts, not playbooks. Give people the direction that you want them to run in, but then give them agency and autonomy to control how they get there, the path they take in their journey, because we know this is going to make them feel a lot safer in their brain. It's going to empower them, but also giving them control leverages that Ikea effect, that endowment effect, so they're more likely to actually accomplish these actions because they feel like they've come from themselves. And that's brain tool number two, goalposts, not playbooks. 
And brain tool number three, become a teaching coach. There is a very fundamental difference between coaching and teaching, even though it's spoken about ad nauseum. Be really mindful of the person you are dealing with, their strengths, their weaknesses, and how they like to be communicated with. When you hold these one-on-ones with this person, be really mindful of that 80% of your time listening, 20% of your time talking, and make sure that you end with an understanding of what you've actually covered and what you're going to do as a result of it. And as a leader, make sure you actually do it. That's brain to number three, become a teaching coach. And as a teaching coach, use brain tool number four, which is advice, permission, feedback. Rather than offering people feedback or giving unsolicited feedback, which we know can trigger the brain and lead to an adverse reaction, instead frame your feedback as advice and ask for permission. Can I share some advice is 10 times better than let me give you some feedback. And that's brain tool number four, advice, permission, feedback. And Sam, as we wrap up those four brain tools, what is your 80-20 for the day? My 80-20 is pretty simple and it comes from looking at all the research and what I learned for this episode. And that's simply leadership is keeping others' brains safe, in control, and feeling like they're growing. That's a leader's job. That's leadership. Yeah, that's spot on. And that that lines up brilliantly with mine, which is become a leading manager. Know that they are two mm-hmm. sides of the same coin and it's inspiring people is one thing, but also it's about getting stuff done so you get to your collective goals that you're trying to achieve. And that's my 80-20. And that's pretty much us for this week and for this series too. Brands at work, over. Yeah, five-part series, done and dusted. There are more exciting episodes and interviews to come as we start our guest interviews on the horizon. Sam, thanks again for your time, and we are done for the day. We're done for the day, and we'll see you next week. 